0: Please remain standing for the scripture reading. Let me remind you that this is special service for us today as we celebrate the ordination of Daniel Agaloo's, and uh, we are certainly glad that we can celebrate that. Uh, After the reading of scripture, the song that will be sung is uh, a selection from Daniel that he has chosen. So let's hear the word of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamelessly treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in. Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath Has come upon them at last. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: of life words of hope to work. changing you. We have called
0: Let's pray. Oh, heart changer, come to us. Our souls cling to the dust, so give us life according to your word. May we delight in your testimonies. May we meditate on your statutes. May our eyes be fixed upon your ways. So we ask even now that you would come and open our hearts and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law so that your name would be praised among your people. Amen. Well,
2: good morning, everybody. Looking forward to opening this uh, word with you. As you know, we are kind of focusing uh the <coughs> sorry, if I do that time or again, just forgive me uh we're focusing um our attention this morning around the the idea of ordination Daniel Egelus uh, uh, back there, and uh, this evening we'll actually at Grace Hill have the official presbytery service uh where where that will take place, but this morning, since not everybody can be at Grace Hill and uh daniel is being called as an assistant pastor to uh, this congregation with his primary assignment being to to serve that grace hill group for now uh we wanted to to bring a focus on that and as such i want to talk a little bit just about the nature uh of pastoral ministry like what is it i mean daniel's going to be an assistant pastor uh among us so what what does that mean what what, what do we think of when we think of ministry, or maybe even more importantly, uh, what does the Bible think of when it thinks of ministry, and how might our perceptions of that uh, maybe need to be course-corrected a little bit? We think about ministry, uh, one definition that, that s- sticks in my mind, uh, and I don't remember exactly the source or where I heard this, but somewhere back. Uh, in the seminary training days they uh the the definition was this uh, a pastor is a person with a role relationship uh among a congregation of equals uh so let me just unpack that for you just a minute uh and and maybe also speak uh, to some of the things that need to be uh, challenged a little bit. First of all, it's a role relationship among equals. You know, when we when we come together as a body, uh, we are all the same before before the Lord's throne. Uh, there is nothing that is going to qualify Daniel or me or Steve or or anybody who's called to the ministry. There's nothing that's going to qualify us more for grace uh, than is going to qualify you. It it is a role relationship among equals. Uh, Furthermore, uh, resource wise, I mean, you have the same resources as those who are in pastoral ministry. Maybe you don't know Greek or Hebrew, but you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so the ability that you have to minister to the people sitting in the row with you is tremendous. Uh, You have that ability. You have the Word of God. We're going to talk about the importance of that. You have the resources that is needed. So we are equals in that way. But uh, there is a role relationship. Pastors are called, and and God gives, you know, in other places it talks about giving gifts to the church, the apostles and uh, elders and that sort of thing. You know, pastors are placed in a community for a specific role and for a specific purpose, namely to nurture those gifts, right? Uh, to to preach and to teach the word to call back to the centrality of the gospel, all of those things, those, that is the role of the pastor within the community. Um, you know, exhort, rebuke, correct, admonish, all of these words that we see oftentimes associated in the New Testament, uh, speaking of the role of the pastor within the congregation, and as such, there, there is a specificness to this calling. Um, you know, we talk about the priesthood of all believers. That speaks to the the generality and the ability that we all have. But there there is a role for the pastors, and so that's what we want to think about a little bit this morning. How do we begin to appropriate that? How do we begin to think about it? And I've used as an outline this morning... Moving us through 1 Thessalonians chapter two, this idea of logos, ethos, and pathos. Those of you who are up on your Aristotle probably recognize, uh, you know, the three modes of persuasion uh, that Aristotle talks about with regards to rhetoric. Rhetoric. There's logos, the content of what is said. There's uh, pathos, there's the uh, energy and the emotion with which a thing is said. And then there is ethos, and that is the the character, the perceived character of the speaker that uh, lends credibility to what is being said. And it's interesting, when you walk through 1 Thessalonians 2, you sort of see these three things coming out in the way that Paul is ministering to this congregation, and the way that he characterizes their relationship. So I thought it would be a helpful helpful outline for us as we go this morning. One of the things that we place to start is <coughs> this idea of the, the congregation, the community that God uh, brings together, those who are part of the congregation, those who are called to, to shepherd and care for the congregation. It's a community that is based in the logos. It, it's based in the word very real sense, you know, Jesus is the Logos. We see that back in John chapter 1. He is the Word made flesh. And so the community centers around Jesus. And, uh, and even more than that, it, it centers around the ancient words that we just heard sung about. It centers around those words which give shape to the community. You see that in this passage here. You look at Uh, verse 2, where Paul says, um, but though you've already suffered, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal, verse 3, does not spring from error or punity, but we've been approved by God, verse 4, to be entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak. Uh, Verse 9, for you remember uh, our labor, brothers, uh, and our toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And then uh, later on, he says in verse 13, you received the word of God. Uh, and it's this, this word that is at work within you believers. So over and over again, uh, we're reminded of this speaking We're reminded of this receiving. We're reminded of this thing called the gospel uh, that is central. And and what Paul is saying is this is the basis of our relationship. When we came to you in Thessalonica, uh, we proclaimed to you this gospel. And it's this gospel that has become the anchor for our relationship together. And that's true. Uh, for us today, it's as true for us today as it was for Paul and the Thessalonians uh, so many years ago. The gospel is the center, the anchor of everything we do. So, you know, as uh, Daniel you know, becomes an ordained minister, the exhortation to him always is to preach the gospel. You know, in season, out of season. Remember, that's what Paul says to Timothy uh, preach the gospel, keep us centered on the gospel. One writer puts it this way. He said, if there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean just passionate about sharing it with others. Sometimes we think about sharing the gospel. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way that we look at the world. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and only the gospel ought to be that thing. And that's the, that's the goal as we come together. What do we do when we open the scriptures? We're always calling us back to the gospel. Why? Because it's when we, we live, breathe, when we take in the gospel, when we live out the gospel, it's in all of these things that we find freedom. You know, when Paul talks about the gospel, he, he oftentimes has a specific formulation. There was uh, what they say, a kerygma. There was a proclamation, and it had these elements. So 1 Timothy, 15, or 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You know, there are certain things, Christ Jesus, the Incarnation, Saving of sinners. These are the things that are are so crucial to the gospel. We see a very clear sort of evidence of the charygma in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also receive. So here's the gospel, here's the message. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to more, more than 500. He appeared to James. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul says this. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, central to what Paul says his message is and central to our life together is this this knowledge that Jesus died. This knowledge that he died in order to set us free from our sins. We think of Memorial Day, right? And we remember those who gave their lives to gain freedom. Well, this is the ultimate warrior. This is the ultimate hero, the one who came with the intent to engage and to give his life and to earn the ultimate freedom that we could have life in the sun. Now, part of, you know, two things, I mean, One, do you see yourselves there? I mean, we always want to be asking that question, you know, exhort, rebuke, admonish, encourage, invite, whatever verb you want to have. I mean, do you find yourself there? Have you you, uh, come into the gospel story in such a way that you can say, yes, Jesus died for me? Like, this is my story. This is my freedom. That's something that we always want to be asking. I mean, certainly Paul was able to say that. And that's one of the things that's very striking about Paul, is you see the freedom with him. How how do you see the freedom? Paul keeps talking about how messed up he is. You know, Paul's like, look at Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am the chief. I am am messed up morally, behaviorally, all of these things. The things that I would do, I don't do. The things that I do not want to do, those are the things that I find myself doing. You know, this is Paul's testimony. But that's what the gospel has done. The gospel has set him free. The gospel has enabled him... To confess, to repent. And it's one of the primary ways that we know the gospel is at work in us personally. The way that we know that the gospel is at work in us as a community. It's when we have the freedom to say, look it, I know that I'm messed up. I can see that you're messed up. You know, we're not going to try to cover that over. We're not going to pretend. We're not going to, uh, you know, uh, believe. We're not going to fool ourselves that it's our own righteousness. That is moving us into the favor of God. But we are, are adamant, steadfast, that though we may be the chief of sinners, God's grace is for the chief of sinners. And, and that's the content. That's the logos. That's the gospel that, that Paul is saying marks a community, that, that pastors you know, call us to, that we remind ourselves of, that we seek to live in everything, you know, times of prosperity, going well. Are are we pushing it through the grid of the gospel? You've just graduated from high school. You've just graduated from college. You've got the world by the tail. You know, what does it mean to push that through the grid of the gospel? That you are loved, not because of what you do, but because of the free will of God, that you are deeply loved, that you have a freedom to go and to be the person that he is calling you to be. It, we preach the gospel to ourselves through times of adversity, you know, whether it's a, a sickness or whether it's a financial loss. You know, we say we, we are not who, you know, our bodies may be telling us we are, we are not You know, who we are in terms of what the world may be telling us, in terms of how much money I make. We're we're not any of these things. We are deeply loved of the Father. Always, always, always pushing back towards the logos, back towards the gospel, and asking ourselves those questions. I, I hope that is an exercise that you are growing in. You know, day by day, there's sort of this preaching the gospel to yourself, applying it rigorously to every aspect of your life, not as a duty, not as a duty, but truly, because that is where you will find freedom. You know, that is where you are going to find the joy in this world. Secondly, uh, the, the gospel then is the basis, the logos, right, the word, the content, Uh, It does bear out into an ethos. You see that uh, sort of in verse 12 where he says, For we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So there is a rigor to Paul's work and the other apostles, the other pastors, elders. There's a rigor to their work. They're they're exhorting, they're calling, they're admonishing, all of these things, to walk in a manner worthy of God, that there should be something that marks our life as a community together as different. It should look different than those who are outside of the community. Now, I'm not talking about us as a religious organization per se. You know, now, obviously, we are a religious organization, uh, but I'm talking about us as Christ followers. You know, it's not, the, it's not the external form of religion. That's not the worthy manner that Paul is looking for. You know, what he's talking about is, is those who are inwardly transformed by Christ, in whom the Word is doing its work. Just such an amazing thought to think about the Word being at work in you. And you are being transformed day in and day out. A couple of things just mentioned specifically about the ethos. You know, the first is this. You saw in verse 10, (coughs) uh, you are witnesses of God also. How holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul comes to to this triad, holy, righteous, and blameless, a number of times. He talks about blamelessness later on in the book. uh, I'm going to use a benediction later today. He talks about blamelessness. And this is something that he says should mark the community. Now, what's so important, and please hear me on this, what's so important is is that we do not lose the order of these things, right? The logos comes first. The gospel preached, the gospel received, the gospel identity, you know, lived in and out of. That comes first, and it results in these other things. Sometimes we get in trouble, and this is where legalism comes in, is when we focus on things like holy and righteous and blameless in order to get us saved, right, in order to prove our worth to God. God says, no, I've I've qualified you. I've made you worthy. I have made you blameless. I've done these things in you. Now, you know, allow that to come out into your life. You you saw that even in in 1 Corinthians 15 where where Paul says, but by by the grace of God, I am what I am. He didn't earn it, right? It's the grace of God. By his grace, I am what I am. But his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God which is in me. So you see that, you know, there is this back and forth. It's the grace that makes us what we are. But it's the grace then that also frees us to walk worthy, and, and Paul says, to, to work harder. He talks about toil and labor uh, in the passage that we just read. So there is a rigor, there is a uh, there's an intentionality about our pursuing righteousness. And, you know, this is something that is not always popular to talk about. You know, we, we become so nervous about legalism, and especially in Presbyterian circles, I feel like sometimes, we we become so nervous about legalism that... We, we actually move the other way and we want to prove that we're not legalists and we want to prove that we're not prudish, you know. So we talk about the beer that we drink and we, you know, salt our language with a coarse word or two just to prove to people that we're not legalists. And, and, I, and I say that as a confession. I mean, I, I know that pull as well. I don't want to be seen as a prude. But Paul says something about holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness that says, make that attractive. You know, I, I know some of you young people wrestle with this. You know, is that really cool to be holy, righteous, and blameless? Well, I don't know if it's cool. But I know it's something that brings glory to God and that speaks of the reality uh, of his work in our hearts. And so, it, you know, God holds that out before us and says, let this mark your ethic, you know, how, how you are together. The other thing that he emphasizes in this passage with regards to ethos, our, our life together, is that it's not easy. So these are two very countercultural things, like be holy, right, and, you know, embrace suffering. Uh, He says in verse 2, For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we had boldness to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Uh, Verse 9, he talks about the the labor and the toil. Uh, Verse 14, again, he talks about suffering that you uh, endure. Later on in the passage, in in chapter 3, Uh, verses 3 and 4, he talks very clearly uh, about the afflictions that you are now bearing. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were there with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. You see, there's this idea of, you know, positive arc. There's this idea that if you live right, then God owes you. You know, even if we don't say it quite that clearly, there's this idea that, God, what's going on? I'm trying to follow you. Shouldn't my life be easier? You know, shouldn't I not have to deal with this illness? Should I not have a job that brings me, you know, emotional satisfaction and financial security? You know, shouldn't my marriage uh, go along uh, more swimmingly than it sometimes seems to be? Shouldn't it be easier to be a young person? You know, we have this idea, but what Paul says, and and what I think, again, is part of the freedom of really living in the gospel is that Paul said, look, we told you it was going to be hard. You know, we told you that we were going to suffer. We told you that you would have affliction because we live in a world, you know, that still is bearing the pollution of sin. We talked about that last week. Still bearing the effects of the fall. Uh, You are following a way that is at odds with Satan, who's the prince of this world. Yes, yes. You know, you are going to suffer. There is going to be affliction that you are going to have to endure and navigate. But part of what's so great about what Paul says is that we know it. You know, and we, 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 we can embrace it. It makes sense. We have a worldview that incorporates it. We, we know that. Uh, God is in the middle of conquering this, and one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. But for now, we are still waiting the, the fullness of that consummation. We're still waiting the fullness of the deliverance which he is bringing into this world. And so there's an ethos that makes sense of suffering and and this is what you know Daniel and myself and Steve and uh, and others you know part of our job is to just remind you of that truth you know that that there is a brokenness there is a pollution but there's a greater gospel that makes sense of it and is moving us towards fullness and life and beauty and health and healing and whole uh, and, and helping us encourage one another as we walk uh, as we walk day by day. And the other thing that I will just highlight to you, the final thing, is that uh, this relationship based in the logos, the gospel, shares an ethos, a way we walk that uh, both recognizes the suffering that we face as well as pushes us towards holy, righteous, and blameless. This is a relationship of love. Uh, the relationship between those called the ministry, pastors, elders, uh, though, and the congregation, those that they served. It's nourished in pathos. Maybe you picked up on that as we were reading in 1 Thessalonians 2. I mean, Paul, Paul is, is very comfortable Uh, stating his emotions, isn't he? Uh, We were among you like uh, like a mother. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 7, verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. You know how we were, verse 11, like a father with his children. Going on, chapter 2, verse 17, Since we were torn away from you for a short time in person, but not in heart, We endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Therefore, we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother, to find out how you are uh, so that you would stand strong. And now when Timothy has come back to us, he says, 3 verse 6, and given us this report, uh, we hear that you are doing well In all of our distress, and all of our affliction, we've been comforted about you through faith. For now we live, Paul says. It's amazing. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul is unabashed. About his love for the Thessalonian people. Now, again, it's the gospel that enables him, because the Thessalonians weren't perfect. They had some doctrinal problems. They were confused about the second coming. Uh, there were a bunch of people who were being lazy and idle and not working. I mean, there were definitely things that he had to admonish them about. But because the gospel was at work in his life and he knew that the gospel was at work in their life, it allowed him to freely love this people. And here's what I would say. he It allowed him to freely express that love. Now, again, I say this is something that to me is a, a left-handed sort of thing. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up in a community uh, that was really easy about expressing affection uh, for one another. Uh, reminded of my friend uh, Bryant who uh, Long time, different place. He and his wife went to one of these marriage conferences, and uh, they were had to write letters to each other, and they they came together uh, at the end of that. And uh, and you know, Jen said to him, uh, you know, so what'd you write? He's like, well, you know, I really couldn't think about what to write. I, you know, I told you I loved you 15 years ago when we got married, and nothing's changed. If anything does change, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and sometimes we, uh, they actually had a really good marriage. They're, they're doing well uh, still. But, uh, but sometimes we treat each other like that. You know, and, and what, what challenges me and encourages me here is that Paul is so freed by the gospel that he can say, I love you guys. You know, I, I am affectionately desirous of you. And it's a reciprocal relationship, right? We see that uh, in in verse 6. Now that Timothy has come to us, this is of chapter 3, from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us even as we long to see you. Later on in chapter 5 verse 12. He, he, he admonishes or says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. We admonish you to esteem them highly in love because of their work. You know, there is this reciprocal relationship between those who minister, those who are called to serve in that role relationship among equal, and then those who are served. And it's a relationship of love. And Paul is so good at expressing it. May we be so good at expressing it. You know, sometimes it's difficult. You stand up on a given Sunday morning, you have 500 people. Daniel has a, you know, he is not omnipresent. So just a little hint, uh, pastors are not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. uh, And they are not omnipotent. They're not all powerful, right? They're, They're finite human beings. And so we don't always get to talk with every single person. But hopefully, the love for you as a community comes through in teaching, and writing, and serving, and all of those different things. Let's find ways to express that. I, you know, I not to highlight Daniel and Abby, although this service is about them in a certain sense. Uh, You know, they they're here from Peru. You know, they have some family with them this week, but they don't always have family with them. You know, are, are we caring for those who are among us to serve? Are we thinking about it? It's interesting to me. I, I talk to some folks who are like, well, pastors, you get invited to everything. That is not true. Uh, in, in fact, I think a lot of people think that, and so oftentimes pastors don't get invited. It's, it's amazing how many times, so interesting, and maybe it's because uh, this is just a weird thing, you know, you're actually doing a wedding for somebody and people forget to invite you to the reception. Maybe, maybe they just assume that you're already going to be there and you don't need the invitation. But sometimes it just gets overlooked. And I say that, you know, just to make sure that as a community we are expressing that love. Because, look at, and this is where we'll end and I, we see it with Paul. Uh, the glory that is coming is expressed now in our one-anotherness between pastors and congregation. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope? This is what Paul is saying, right? What is our hope, our our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are are our glory and our crown. You know, you are this. You know, it's this community that God is bringing together (coughs) that speaks of the glory. And this is what we long for. You know, we long for God's glory to be seen. And as we love one another in the gospel as we encourage one another in the gospel, as we sharpen one another, as iron sharpens iron. And I mean that both ways. You know, as we express our love to one another, the glory shines forth. The glory is seen. The glory is renowned. And Jesus himself is praised. Brothers and sisters, what what a great, great gift. That God has given us as a congregation, uh, to have Daniel and Abby among us now as pastors, to love one another, uh, to, uh, to, to continue to serve out of the goodness that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we ask the Lord to continue to apply these two words to our hearts. Father, we do pray this, that you would continue to apply Uh, these good truths to our hearts and to our lives. We ask that the gospel would be the central point of who we are. Uh, Day in and day out, we would uh, seek to nourish ourselves with the gospel, that we would remind one another of that, and that we would walk worthy, uh, and that we would show forth a a life of love for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus, Jesus' name. Amen.